0: And welcome back to the forward podcast. I'm your host Lance Armstrong. Thanks for tuning in again um, and if this is the first time you've ever tuned in because this is a really special podcast for me uh, thanks for thanks for uh, stopping by. hope you uh, hope you enjoy it. Hope you maybe go back in the um, some of the previous episodes and check those out um, And as always, thanks for also, too, a lot of your comments and um, suggestions every week. You guys can send those to the email address of the—okay, time out for a second. I was going to told you guys last week and the week before I was going to change it. I'm still a little lazy and haven't changed it. So uh, the email address is theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. And we do is W E D U and Sport is Singular. So it's the Forward Podcast at we do Send me a note. a um, bunch of bunch of good suggestions on future guests and uh, interesting people, as <clears throat> as you loyal listeners probably know, there's really no template here. I kind of just talk to anybody that that I find interesting or that I'm, I might think that you guys might find interesting. Um, but it's not a, you know, there's not, we're not stuck in any one genre, so it's all over the place. So keep sending good suggestions. Uh, before I introduce this week's guest, uh, did I mention that this is a, this is a really kick-ass podcast this week? You're going to love this. Okay. So stay tuned. Um, in other news, I read just, I think yesterday that Mick Jagger, 73 years old, just had his eighth child. Okay, which, by the way, Mick, congratulations to you and your and your better half. Um, you you have three more children than I do, so congratulations on that. But what the the other amazing thing that popped up is that he has a great granddaughter that is now older than his new baby. I mean, how about that? That is, I mean, good for him. You can pull that shit off. Pfft, legend. I did a bunch of I've been back on the bike. <clears throat> I know I it, it, when this thing got started, people probably thought I'd talk about cycling all the time and I really try not to. Um, and and at the time when I started, I actually wasn't riding very much, but I've been I was running more. Got a little banged up from running. Uh, if anybody has a miracle so as cure, please send that to the Forward Podcast at we do sport.com. But so anyways, I I, I don't want to be a complete lard ass in my old age, so I've been back on the bike and starting to ride more and more. And i I got to say, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, this week I did a, um, I posted it on my social media stuff. Um, I did a, like a 106-mile ride with two young pros, Lawson Craddock, who most of you probably know that follows cycling, and then another kid, Nick Taraka, who's a, who's a, a kind of a, a Texas pro, goes to the University of Texas here, uh, studying economics, originally from Dallas, really nice kid, 21-year-old kid. And so they got me into this this long day, um, which I hadn't run. I hadn't ridden hundred miles, and I have. I don't know the last time I rode. I've done it a lot in my life, but I bet it's been more than four years since I've ridden hundred miles. It was awesome. Get out there and uh, hammer with those young kids. I posted on my Twitter account that you know I've been alive longer than the two of them combined. So the fact that I, I was very proud of myself that I could just get out there and. Complete the ride. So, um, in that vein, and I, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, I can't reiterate enough how much it's just sort of, uh, for years I was, I didn't, you, you guys who know the story probably can realize it wasn't, the bike wasn't my obvious choice when I woke up every day and looked at a form of exercise, but. I've rediscovered it, and uh, I got some travel coming up. In the old days, I would, I would, you know, we called them in the day, we called them uh, Twitter rides. Um, now, they're, you know, there's so many forms of social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, et cetera. Um, probably should just call them social media rides. So I've got some stuff coming up in the next few weeks in some really diverse, faraway places. I might throw it out there. So if you guys live in a diverse, uh, uh, faraway place, um, stay tuned because, uh, we may be doing some, uh, some pop-up rides along the way. And if so, and if you're there, please come out and, uh, say, Hey, for my guest this week, uh, he really, I feel a little stupid even introducing the guy because literally, I don't know about people that live in like diverse faraway places that I just spoke about, but certainly in the United States of America, and probably everywhere else, you know this guy. He's, 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 you don't even need to say his last name. Um, my guest this week is Bo Jackson. Um, really, all I could say is I got Bo. Um, and Bo's, Bo has, has got, everybody knows he has an amazing sports story. Um, I got to know Bo Jackson because uh, he wanted to start a bike ride in his home state of Alabama after it was completely ravaged by a series of tornadoes uh, years ago. And he, he he wanted to do something to try to, uh, obviously, uh, raise some money, but generate some awareness around the issue, build some storm shelters. Um, so he, he decided to do a bike ride. And if you've ever seen or been around Bo, this dude does not look like a bike rider. But he asked me to come along on the ride, help him prepare for it, train for it, uh, get him some sponsors, and you know, at the time, for me, it was just super cool to hang out with Bo Jackson. I figured we'd be one and done. Um, but Bo, uh, he kept doing it. Not that he rides his bike every day, but he kept doing the event year after year. Uh, we, we speak a lot about it in this podcast, but it's called Bo Bikes Bama. Uh, it's now a one day ride in Auburn, Alabama, where obviously he played college ball and won the Heisman. Um, uh, so if you guys are certainly in that area, it's a great ride, great, beautiful course, and it's a great cause, and Bo's there, and I'll be around there. Last year we had Brett Favre. A couple of years ago we had Cam Newton. Um, it's it's a good scene, so come check it out. And then the last thing I'll say is, for those of you who are Bo fans, or you know, I think most of you, when I say Bo Jackson, or you, you think about Bo, and you've watched some of his stuff, you think about the 30 for 30 on ESPN, which is... Which is one of these shows where you really realized how special he was as an athlete. Um, so you, you see that side of him, you probably see him during football games on the Kia commercials and other commercials, and you might have seen some interviews. This is not something, I, I had to really twist his arm, his big arm to get him to do this. Um, and, and, and I was, I got to tell you, I, I'm not, I don't want to hype this too much, this is Bo Jackson, like you have never heard Bo Jackson, and uh, I would just sat there and thought, this is this is such a great hour. Actually, it actually is a little longer than an hour, um, but um, he, he's just—he's uh, a wonderful man. He's a great father. The stuff he says about his kids, the way he raised his kids, is just—it um, will for all you parents out there—you gotta listen to this podcast. Um, so enjoy it, and, and the last thing I'll say, because he doesn't do a lot of this, is, is to my friend Bo, uh, thank you for coming on The, the Forward, and uh, you guys enjoy. Bo, thank you for being here. Thanks for coming on The Forward.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Have you done, have you done a podcast? Not your own, but have you gone on? No, a pop-
1: I have never done a
0: podcast. Okay, that's. I the-
1: have done a lot of things. I've never done a podcast, so you're the first one. You're going to get my cherry on this. one. Oh.
0: you know, I, I yeah, and um, that that'll be the the press release we put out. Lance Armstrong <laughs> get both cherry on podcast. Bo- Pops, podcast. Bo Jackson's cherry. That's
1: first podcast.
0: Um, I I just had a question because I was. You know, I know I know. when actually we went through, we met through your bike ride in Alabama, yes, yes. Bow Bikes Bama. And the first year we did it. 2012. Yeah, it was like a week long. I mean, it was yes. or five days or it was, it was more than a day. Now it's now, now you did one day in Auburn. But we rode all over the state. Did we go to Bessemer? We
1: started off in Bessemer. We landed, Bessemer. we flew to Bessemer. No, 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 no. We started off, I think, when you were there, you joined us in Coleman, and we finished in Bessemer because right. you have to get on a plane in and, and uh, go somewhere. I, I think you're going to the West Coast or somewhere. But we finished up in my hometown where I grew up. Yeah. In in the uh, parking lot. So, Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. At the
1: uh, yeah. Right. Right down off of the Bessemer Super Highway yeah. on the way going to Tuscaloosa.
0: And you grew up with nine other. I grew up brothers with and nine
1: sisters. Nine siblings, four brothers and five sisters.
0: In a house that was... In a house that was less than...
1: The house was less than 750 square feet.
0: outdoors. I'm just... And and this is my question, because how does that work? How do you get... Well, you had 10 of you guys, plus your mom. How do you get 11 people? Well,
1: there there wasn't all 10 at the house at the same time. So my older brothers and sisters, they had married and moved on or, or was in the military... Or had moved out. So there had to be about six there had to be about six six to seven kids in the house at any given time. With my mom, which her bed was in the kitchen. Wow. By the back back door. The one bedroom that we had, it had two twin beds in it. And we slept two 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 to a bed, foot to head. So we let one sleep at the foot of the bed and one sleep at the head of the bed. And then we made Pallets, blankets on the floor, so wow. we slept around the coal stove, which, which it was a wood burning stove in the bedroom. So we just made our pallets around the wood stove, or as we had a gas heater in the living room.
0: Yeah. So. Um, so there's one bedroom.
1: One bedroom. Wow. One bedroom, and, and we were bathroom. in that house till 1971 or two, and hmm. then we moved. And then we moved in a house that's probably that was probably twenty five hundred square feet, which made it seem like a mansion. Right. We had moved up like the Beverly Hill building. <laughs> You'd made it. We had we had made it because the neighbors was talking about, wow, that's a big because all of the homes were six, seven hundred square yeah. feet. And when we moved into our um uh, when we moved in, into our tri level house, uh everybody was saying, Wow. That, but that house got 100 rooms in it, yeah. and it only had seven rooms. Right. Seven rooms but you guys and in the that. whole house. Yeah. But but we gradually moved from that three-room yeah. home.
0: And dad was, dad, dad was not around.
1: Dad was not around. When I was a kid, I thought having a dad was somebody that came by once a month and left 20 bucks.
0: That's what your dad did?
1: That's what my dad did because he had a family across town. And and um and of
0: the ten, um, how many of the ten were just, just
1: just me and two sisters. Gotcha. Me and two sisters. We all have the same mom, different dads. Uh, my mom was married twice. Um um and and I the thing with me is that I always envied the other kids in the neighborhood. Um I didn't know what envy meant but i just had this thing to where i was always jealous of them because they had their mom and dad there and they were the ones to get the to get the nice toys during christmas yeah. they always had the birthday parties they were able to go on the school field trips because they were they could afford them mm-hmm. and i couldn't and i couldn't because my mom worked two jobs during the day and probably the, the most i got to see my mom was on sunday uh they comes from from Monday through Saturday. She worked cleaning somebody's house during the day from seven till to, to, to two. And from three to 11, she worked at the hotel cleaning rooms. God. And that was her life until I made her quit. Until I said, if you don't quit, I'm gonna come around to the job and I'm gonna create so much shit that they're gonna be forced to fire you. <laughs> so <laughs> she quit. After I got out of college, right. So,
0: but when you were younger, you weren't. You were. You were wild. I mean, you were. I
1: I was the John Gotti of my neighborhood. Period. The John Gotti of.
0: I was the John Gotti
1: of my neighborhood. Meaning, other parents fights.
0: You stole bikes. You.
1: I didn't get in fights. I beat up a lot of kids. It wasn't where they picked a fight with me. mm -hmm. Um, I inherited stuttering from my father, mm -hmm. so as a kid. I stuttered worse than male tillers. And the other kids thought it was funny, and they would laugh at me, which, which which, brought out the dark side of me. Yeah, And I would beat up the other little boys in the neighborhood. I beat up girls. And I was known for throwing rocks. Any kid get hit in the head with a rock in my neighborhood, 99.99% of the time, I did it. Oh, my God. If a window got broken in anybody's house, car window got smashed, they come to my house. Wow. So. But your mom must have been. Two, three times a week, and sometimes twice on, on the weekends, my mom would get me in the front yard <clears throat> and tear my butt up because I'd either hit somebody in the head with the rock or I broke a window or I threw green apples through somebody's screen door. Uh, uh, that was just me. We did. We had one black and white TV in our house. The antenna was a coat hanger. Had three stations on it, and um, and and there was nothing on TV. So we had to go outside and make our own fun. Yeah, we didn't have anything. And about a mile from our house was a sanitation landfill, the city dump. We would go there and find toys to play with. Find old plastic trucks, and we tie ropes to them. Like a little, and, and we pull them off the mountain, pull them through water. That was our fun time. That was our fun time. Then once we got bored with that, we go to one one of the neighbors' house that got an apple tree in it or a pear tree, and we pick the green apples and have have a crab apple battle, to where it would be six kids against me, and I never lost well, undefeated. So they would get tired of throwing apples and they would run home. As if that was safe, because they run on the porch and run inside. As soon as they get in, as soon as the door closed, two green apples come through the screen door, <laughs> and, and the neighbors would. And, but the neighbors would come up to the house, and this was all on Saturday. Saturday, so, uh, this was all on Saturday, and uh, and and uh, they would wait till my mom get home, because on on Saturday my mom didn't clean houses; she just worked at the hotel, and she got to work around two. Right. Three o'clock. So if I did anything to get in trouble, I knew before six o'clock that I was going to get a good ass woman. Right. And that was almost every
0: Saturday. And how old are you? I mean, are you, are we talking eight years old, 12 no, years old? No, no.
1: I, I was five, six, seven oh, years old.
0: Real little. I was a monster. So you had not, I mean, at that age, you're not playing sports. You might have done some sports here and there.
1: Nope, hadn't done any sports. The only sports that we did was play stickball.
0: And your mom is just praying brother. to God that you get into some sports to no, channel you. she grade. was just praying to
1: God that I would just straighten up. And, and, and it's hard. I'll put it to you like this. It's hard for a young black kid in the urban areas to grow up um, with positive thoughts because there's no role models. Mm. There's no role models unless you want to look up to the neighborhood drunk. You want to look up to the drug dealers and so forth and so on. But there are no role models in urban America. So in the no this is in the this was this in, in the 60s early and 70s, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. in Bessemer Alabama yes, there was yes. there was no star there athlete was, that came out of there there was no star no musician athletes, no politician no 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 none and um so i looked up to my brothers and my cousins yeah they either worked in the mines um worked at the steel plant and during the summer we we had community baseball and softball and the teams were were made up of ninety percent Jacksons, Mm. softball and baseball team. Mm. So if you piss one off, you got to deal with the whole beehive. You got to deal with the whole beehive. So we didn't get into too many fights because they knew the whole baseball team and ninety percent of the people in the stands were
0: relatives. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we all and when so
0: when do you when you first start playing football first or you start playing baseball first? I started playing. Baseball
1: first, the little league team. I was on the stick little ball team was, Your precursor nine, you was old. stick
0: ball, and then you get into the yep. actual.
1: And uh, we had a little league team trial, and everybody either wanted to pitch or play first base. Nobody wanted to be the catcher. Everybody was afraid to put on all the gear and get behind another kid swinging the bat. And I said, I'll do it. Hmm. And my first position that I ever played was a catcher. No formal training just saw my cousins play baseball, and I was nine years old. And by the end of the summer, when the Little League season was over, I, I was – when the Little League season was over, the coach on the Pony League team asked if I wanted to be the catcher on the Pony League team because nobody – and I'm not bragging, but it's just the fact that nobody had an arm as strong as mine. And then when the Pony League season was over, I caught, and I'm this is nine, ten years old. I caught for the men's semi-pro team, and I was throwing grown men out from my knees at regular ninety feet base. They still on me on second base. I threw them out. At but second.
0: you'd been practicing with the rocks and the crab apples and the bears. Hey,
1: I, it's the motion. I, I have had a the PhD in rock chunking. <laughs> PhD oh. in rock chunking. Yes, and and. And uh, we would actually go to other communities to play them. Mm-hmm. And we'd get out of the cars, get off the back of the pickups. And we uh, were all playing in cut-off jeans, short, shorts, the old tube socks with the two lines on them. Two stripes. Yeah, with the two stripes on them, playing in our Chuck Taylors or whatever. Uh, only about one or two guys had baseball cleats. And um, we'd get off the bus, and they'd see this kid putting on the catcher's gear. And they say, "Hey, hey, hey! What the hell's going on? You all are gonna get get this kid hurt?" And everybody on my team is just laughing at right. you. Always, and then they say something like, "That's our secret weapon right there." So nobody knew who I was, and so forth and so on. And uh, one day we were playing. We went to this place, and the local sheriff pulled up just to not to, the, but just to watch the game. this on a Sunday evening. White guy, white guy, and I was catching. And uh, the other team was talking about, you all are going to get that kid hurt. Y'all better get him out of the game before he gets hurt. They said, just wait. He's our secret weapon, and I'm cu- and I'm catching. And the pitcher walked the first batter. First batter got on, and, and uh, somebody said, I bet you you won't try to steal on him. And so that got the guy on first base itching. And I think on like on the second pitch, he took off to second base. I caught the ball without standing up. I just dropped to my knees and threw a bullet to second base and got him out. And everybody on the other team was like, jaws were like, where the fuck did y'all get him from? Can we get one of those two? Where did y'all get him from? And then they tried to, during the whole game, their coach was trying to bribe me, say, hey <clears> – <throat> I'll buy you a brand new Huffy bicycle if you come over here and play for us. Come over and play for us. You were tempted, and, and, and a Huffy bicycle. <sighs> I would have went in a heartbeat. <laughs> I would have abandoned my family, <laughs> and 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 and. Uh, but back in that day, back in that day, nobody. This was just community baseball. Yeah. We had some of the most talented athletes to come out of the urban areas that weren't discovered. It's it's so I played how I saw the other guys play, and uh, the things that I did, I watched other guys in my neighbor, neighborhood do it. So so when I did things in high school, college, and in the pros, everybody was like, "I can't believe you just did that." I'm like, "Hell, learned, I learned you that learned that in, from when the guys." Yeah. that. I grew up with, with so the tube
0: socks and the yeah packaging.
1: the tube socks and the Chuck Taylors with yeah. the safe with the safety pins and I'm holding them together yeah. on the side. So
0: it, it, one of my favorite stories that I heard about you it, this just blows me away that that this well you know with you there's a bunch of these sort of urban myths mm-hmm. right you you know that and we'll get into some of those in a second but the idea that maybe it was when you were in high school you were the best decathlete in the state yes. And the last event in the decathlon is the fifteen hundred, the mile, roughly the mile. And you never ran the mile. You you built up a big. Every time you built up, according to this myth, you built up a big enough lead. My junior and senior year. You just said, "Fuck it, I'm not going to run the mile. I don't need to because you couldn't, (laughs) you know, well numerically or statistically, you couldn't have lost. Well, to
1: to show you where this come from is that my high school, the track. At my high school right now, I just noticed it a couple of years ago. They just got a track about seven or eight years ago. We were a high school that won the state championship three years in a row, and we didn't have a track or practice facility.
0: One track and field state? Track or, or and field football. state.
1: Mm-hmm. No, state for track and field. And we didn't have a track. Um, We practice on the football field, our sprints, or in the parking lot where the buses park. And we practice our four by one relay around the football stadium on the grass. Never had a track. So once we got on uh asphalt playing surface, that's like you going from sleeping in the woods to sleeping on a comfortable king size bed. Hmm. And 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 um my sophomore year, was it my freshman year? My sophomore, no, my My freshman year, ninth grade, first year I played football also was in the ninth grade. But after football season, the coach said, uh, Vincent, they called me Vincent back then. They said, uh, the coach said, you plan on coming out for the track team? And I said, yeah, coach. And uh, I ran on the junior high track team at one meet and just demolished everybody right he said we're going to move you up to the varsity to the varsity track team <laughs> which I did uh, then after track season was over he 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 said Vincent have you ever heard of the decathlon and no sir what is it he said it's a track event he said in two days you do 10 events and the most points you can get at a thousand points so the better you do in the event the more points you get, then you win a trophy. Like, oh, so I win a trophy. Okay. <laughs> right. Not knowing, not even practice for it. We practice for it. I learned how to throw the discus. We got to the decathlon on Thursday because it's a Friday and Saturday event. We got to the decathlon on Thursday. I learned how to throw the discus on Thursday from a guy from Opelika High School right beside Auburn. Um, I learned how to pole vault on Thursday. We we just didn't have it. The only thing that I knew how to do was run.
0: Yep.
1: And I could do that pretty good. Okay. So the shot put, I learned how to throw on Thursday. Um the mile, I still don't know how to run that fucking right. mile. Right. <laughs> till this day.
0: And I, I can and, teach you how to do that. And
1: and no, you can have it. And uh, I'm in the ninth grade and I'm running in the high school decathlon decathlon this was at this was at vestavia high school and there's about 160 high school kids and everybody's completing and my freshman year i ran the mile and out of 160 kids i'm the only ninth grader there i placed 10th and my legs were killing me after i said well next year we're gonna win this and the only thing that i'm thinking next year this mile's gonna kill me (laughs) that's all that i'm thinking. And the next year, I was runner up.
0: In, the in my middle?
1: in the in the decathlon. The decathlon. In the tenth grade, I placed second out of hundred and so people. But the guy that won it was from Berry High School. Never I can't think of his name right now. But um we were in the car driving back from Garnersville, Alabama. Um, um, which is about a two and a half, three hour drive. From Birmingham, it's about a two-hour drive from Birmingham, and we we're driving back. And there was a, it, it, it was me and a senior by the name of Larry Mason. We're in my coach coach's truck. We got all our track stuff on the back. It's in the bed, and I'm leaning on the door, and I'm asleep because this mile just just wiped me out. <clears throat> and the coach said, "Minton, are you all right?" I said, "Yes, sir, coach, I'm fine." I said, yes, sir, I'm fine. And he said, what's wrong? I said, I was thinking. And he said, what? I said, I tell you what. If I make you a promise that I will win the decathlon next year, if I build up over a 1,000 points over second place, do I have to run them out? And he giggled as he's driving around. He said, well, Vincent, I tell you what he said if you can put 15 to 1600 points between you and second place you don't have to run the mile
0: and that was your that was your motivation
1: and then i set up and i said okay well since you put the stipulation on that so i countered and said if i have at least 1600 points over second place I don't have to run the mile, and you got to buy me a Whopper with cheese and a large orange soda. <laughs> <laughs> and he just laughed his ass off. And he said, that's a deal. So my junior year, Saturday evening, last event, I'm sitting in the football bleachers, eating my Whopper with cheese, watching the poor saps run the mile. <laughs> but and the miler guy w- w- was a state champion miler guy, so he ran the mile in for something. Right. So he just demolished. So he got a thousand points. That was my closest comp competition. And I think he was I think he was a sophomore or or I think he was a sophomore or something. And then my senior year, the same thing. I got a thousand points in the one hundred in the hurdles. I got a thousand points in the high jump, the long jump. I got a thousand points yeah, in you won the, all the discus. Yeah. yeah, you win. And I had to learn how to pole vault. And I pole vault almost 14 feet, and never had a pole vault. Never, never owned a pole vault. Didn't even know how to pole vault. It's just...
0: Just when you get down that runway as time. fast as you're going down the <laughs> runway. And, st- and I plant that pole. Stick it in the ground and just... And hope that it didn't snap.
1: Because I was about... My high school year... My high school year, my 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 senior year in high school, I was about... Oh, up to my junior year i was about 175 180 yeah and uh, my senior year i went from after football season i do over the summer my junior and senior year i went from about 180 to 205 205 205 and i worked at the high school with the summer work program yeah so i moved that football field almost weekly
0: and you're getting recruited from i Uh, mean just in your state alone obviously auburn and alabama and it's funny the first letter I ever got was from
1: Indiana. I still have that letter. The writing has faded on it, but I still got that letter. And it was to play
0: house. basketball
1: for Bobby Knight. <laughs> no.
0: It was a football.
1: It was a football letter. And and uh, I didn't take too many I took two trips, one to Tuscaloosa and one to Auburn. And mm-hmm. I didn't know where Auburn was at the
0: time. And Bear Bryant coached at Alabama. Bear Bryant coached at Alabama.
1: Now, my cousin... Who, who had way more talent than me he had a full ride to go to Tuscaloosa he opted to go work in the coal mines
0: really he's split in yeah in, and in the but the I mean I'm just imagining you have this iconic coach you have the University of Alabama the pressure to go to hit you know to that school would have been tremendous in Alabama well yes yes it was, but did he at come? The time, to, did he
1: come to the house? He didn't come to the house, but he called. So the, na- the neighbor, the neighbors, what's it? Bear Bryant called on that phone right there. Huh. They called on that 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 beige phone right there. Bear Bryant called the house, so everybody come over to look at the phone <laughs> that Bear Bryant called on. So they, um, but but they sent, they sent a coach to recruit me. The coach that had that area was a defensive coordinator named Ken Donahue, send him to my house. I walk in one evening from baseball practice. The coach, no, we had a game. So the coach, I got a ride with the coach. The coach dropped me off at the front. I come up the sidewalk. I walk in the front door and I see my mom sitting at the dining room table to the right. Cause I walk right in the living room, walk past the dining room, go through the kitchen and go downstairs to the basement where the laundry room is. So I walk and I look to my right, I see this, White gentleman sitting at the table with my mom having coffee. So I speak, and I go on down, downstairs, get my clothes out of the bag, put them in the washer because I got a game the next day. And um, this was about 5.30 in the evening, 5.30, six six. So as I'm putting my clothes in, this tall, slim, older white gentleman comes down to so he, he said, Vincent? I said, yes, sir. He said, my name's Ken Donahue. He said, I'm a coach. At Alabama and Bear Bryant told me to tell you that he apologized for not being able to make it up here to see you so he sent me and we talked we talked and he for some reason he had to for some reason he felt it important to tell me that Vincent we want you at the University of Alabama we think you'll be a great asset to the team he said but personally I don't think you'll get a chance to play until the end of your sophomore year or the beginning of your junior season. Hmm. And I just smiled at him and he said, well, I'm going to let you go on and finish washing your baseball uniform. Cause I know you got a game tomorrow. And I shook his hand, smiled at him. But as I'm smiling at him, I'm saying to myself, you got to be outside of your fucking mind. If you think I'm going to come and sit on your bench for two years <laughs> <laughs> and shook his hand and went on by it. so. Scratched his name, right? Scratch Bama, right off the list. That day, I had the roll tie. I had the gray gym shorts with roll tie on the leg. Uh, had the T-shirt with the A on it. Had all it.
0: Done. Done.
1: Just Got like rid that. Of it. Uh, about three days later, walked through the front door again. Same thing. Walk, I looked to my right. My mom sitting at the table. Two white guys this time. <laughs> like, Go downstairs, same thing. Coach come down I said, Vincent? I said, yes, sir. He said, my name's Pat Dye. He said, I'm the head coach at Auburn. And he said, the reason I'm here is because, he said, I'm not going to lie to you. He said, if, if, if I had to put my starting backfield on the field tomorrow, he said, my fullback, he is 5'10", about 300 pounds. He's a little bowling ball. Right. He said, my halfback, one of my halfback, is 5'8", about 170 pounds, if you put weights in his pocket with all his with, with all his gear on. And the other half, because they ran out of wishbone, and my other halfback is 6'5", about 180, with all his pads on. <laughs> so we got a ragamuffin backfield that you just don't have any type of consistency to it. And he said, now I tell you what he said, my job this year is to sign about eight to 11 running backs from Alabama, Georgia, so forth and so on. He said, but I could tell you one thing. He said if he said, I will give you every opportunity to be the starting halfback. Next year when we open up against Wake Forest, he said, "Cause I didn't watch film on you. He he said you are the type of running back they were looking for. You run hard, you're a big kid, mm-hmm. and you got speed like I ain't never seen before for a running back. He said, if you tell me that you're gonna commit to Auburn, he said." I promise you that i give you every opportunity on the planet to be starred in immediately or like, next year. Right. And I shook his hand. I said, Coach, I'm coming over. That's all was said. That was it. That's all was said. So on signing day, sign-in day, I had on this black, I don't know where I got it. I think I bought it from the pimp shop. This black, it's like, I don't know, shiny sweatsuit that had an orange and green stripe on it. And that's what I was wearing when I signed signed my letter of intent to go to Auburn. Wow. And um, the rest is history. But that coach from Alabama also said, once he said that, I don't think you'll get a chance to play until the end of your sophomore, beginning of your junior season. And he said, not only that, he said, if you check the record books, we know that you want to stay home so your mama and your family can see you play. The only other big schools around here is Auburn. He said, well, let me give you a little history behind Auburn and Alabama. He said, Auburn hadn't beat Alabama since 1972. And this is 1982. Wow. He said, 10 years. And he said, they never will. Ooh. And that right there lit a fire in me. So the next year on up to, I all, I damn near quit after the Georgia game, which was. Game number 11, I think we got 12 games. I almost quit and went home. But then I started thinking, everybody in my neighborhood and my mom. I said, the last thing that I want to do is disappoint my mom. And then if I were to come home and just be just another one of those guys around the neighborhood, all all other neighbors are going to say, see, I told you that he wasn't going to be, that he wasn't going to mount to anything. He's already back. So – so I missed curfew that night, which I had to run stadium steps. I had to get them all back before the game, which was a little over a week and a half away. Uh I had to run stadium steps with a 30 pound vest on. And up to the top from the from the from the ground up to the top of the highest point in the stadium, back down is one. And I had a hundred that I had to knock out with a thirty pound vest on. And and uh by me staying <laughs> That was probably the most important decision I ever made as a young man is uh, not going home and quitting the football team right before the Alabama-Auburn game. Because uh, when it was never played in front of a crowd like that. We played in Birmingham. Why would you want to quit? Because in high school, you only play eight, nine, ten games at the most. And we were on game number eleven, and game we twelve. But Bo Jackson
0: wasn't tired from playing ten games. <laughs> I
1: became bored. I became bored. Um, um, I'm like hell. I know how to do this. I don't got to do it. Like, Get the ball and run. I ain't got to worry about nobody catching me, and 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 so forth and so on. So and plus I was a little homesick. Yeah. Away from home for almost a whole year.
0: How far from Bessemer to Auburn, Alabama? Two hours. Two hours. Two hours. But Could I, mom come visit?
1: Yeah, but mom worked. Yeah. She still got those bills to pay. Yeah. She had worked. So the only time I saw her was on Saturday.
0: Did you have a car?
1: No, I had a 10 speed. I had a 10 speed. So Bo Jackson,
0: bike. as a freshman in college, did not have a car and he had a 10 speed.
1: I had a 10 speed bike. Now, my first car at Auburn was a 70, was a. No, my brother's no, no. It was a '74 F-150 pickup. Okay, with a with an eight foot bed on it, and it had two shift kits in it because we bought it from the neighborhood gearhead for four hundred and fifty dollars. So that was my first vehicle. Right. So you could. My second vehicle, I traded that to my brother for his '69 Camaro, and I drove that for a little while. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you you played four years at at uh, Auburn. All four yeah. years. And yeah. and of the four, and I should know this, how many of the four did Auburn beat Alabama?
1: We beat them two out of four. Two out of four. We beat them two out of four. I think we beat them my freshman year and my junior year. I think my freshman and my junior
0: year. And you won the Heisman in your senior, senior year. I won the Heisman. So the you season. win the Heisman and lose to Alabama.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and uh, that was a very – that was a very – um, political charged year from the standpoint that, that the two main guys for the Heisman Trophy was myself and Chuck Long from Iowa, and uh, there were some other guys mentioned in it, but but the uh, but the but the main guys were Chuck Long and I and everybody. Well, so who's going to win this? Who's going to win this? Right. So um, it was a close rate. Right, they say at that time it was the closest vote in Heisman. In Heisman history, Hmm. and uh, I guess the little nappy head kid from Bessemer, Alabama,
0: won out. Got enough votes to where it won out. And while this is happening, your father's still alive.
1: Father's still alive. Mm -hmm. He, he. My father came to. My father came to a lot of games.
0: Right. I would think that starts to. Yes. You know, we all know how that. The only time,
1: yes. um, Only a few people knew that he had a son down in Bessemer. Everybody knew, and I'm not holding anything against my father. But I, but I actually loved him. Um, but I loved him. He he uh, passed away here almost eight nine years ago mm-hmm. of uh, cancer. But um, but but my father and I had a good relationship. It wasn't great. We had a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um. um I but I consider myself blessed to the point to where I was able to tell my father that I loved him before he left. Yeah. And unconditional. Love. I wasn't there when he passed. But um but when I got to Auburn, my dad's nickname my dad, my dad, I think he I think my dad I think he made it through the sixth or seventh grade. Then he went and worked in the steel plant. He worked in the steel plant all his life until he retired. That he was almost in his mid to late sixties hmm. when he retired from from uh, U.S. Steel right there in Bessemer. And uh, the first thing that I ever did for my dad was I bought him a Dodge pickup truck. My dad was illiterate, couldn't spell his name. He put an X. So could not spell his name. He could not spell. What his was name. his name? A.D. Adams. Could not spell his name. So wow. so, when I took him to buy him a pickup truck, he was n- nervous. And it, he wasn't nervous, but from a proud son, I knew that he couldn't spell his name. So I got the pen and I wrote his name down. <laughs> gave him his truck and uh, and and but and he was the happiest man on the planet. He was the happiest man <laughs> on the uh, planet. And 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 it's things a like, lot like that. Me having having the little time that i had with my dad because when i was a little boy probably when i needed him the most i probably wouldn't have got as many ass whoopings as i did but um like i said i invite my friends who had their mom and dad there i i actually look at i actually look back now and i look at i look at people our age that still have their parents with them. And I said, why is it that you allow your parents to t- to still drive to the supermarket, the grocery shop? I said, that's your job. I said, I would give anything on the planet if I could have my mom and dad still here with me. Hmm. And I said, actually, I just told a friend in Portland just the other day on the, Email on a text that I envy you because you're able to still enjoy your mom and dad. They're still and, around. Hmm. His his parents are still around, so that yeah, was- yeah, yeah, yeah. I just told a friend that, but it it was it's it's my dad publicly acknowledged me once I got to college, yep. and everybody said they used to call my dad Big Track. Big track. Big track.
0: Because he, he was big. Big, yeah. He was, well, you got it from somewhere. Big
1: guy. They said, track, ain't that your boy down there at home?
0: And he pokes poke his chest out.
1: Yeah, that's my son. Hmm. That's my son. That's my son. So he acknowledged me. Well, he acknowledged me when I was a kid, but he's working to the point where he's trying to support not only his family there, but whenever he could give my mom something for us which isn't more than 20 25 bucks right which i thought being a little kid i thought that's what having a dad meant Hmm. honest until i became a dad until you became a dad until i became a dad i said no it's a whole lot different and
0: these stories this is this is i mean we've spent we haven't spent a ton of time together but we've spent enough we've had meals at the house and we've been in alabama together and but hearing you talk about your children and parenting your children I mean we grow up and I and I I find myself I mean all of myself and Anna and Kristen the mother of my Mm -hmm. older kids I mean yeah I see all the parents these days I mean we're so easy on I think we're easy easy on these kids And, and, and you the first time you came over and I want you to tell this story for the listeners I guess you had some rule with your kids like don't leave your shit lying around yeah yeah and you the first time you come to our house you tell this story, and, I, and I, I'm, you know, my kids. Just for the record, and they listen to these podcasts. They leave shit everywhere.
1: Let them come spend a week with me.
0: Tell them to bring all that shit with
1: them. Camp, <laughs> <back>. camp boat. <laughs> yes. You tell them to bring all that shit with me. I, 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 um, 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 my kids. We have a cleaning lady named Candy. Wonderful lady. She's been with us since our kids were babies, and I have a. F- Fairly sized, nice home. But um, Candace said that our home, is it takes her less time to clean our home. And it's the easiest home that she has to clean. It's 10 times easier than a home that's a third of the size of mine. Because I'm not a neat freak, but I'm tidy. So I make my kids pick up behind themselves. I said the cleaning lady isn't coming here to make your bed. The cleaning lady isn't coming here to pick your sweaty drawers up off the floor. She isn't coming here to flush your toilet for you. Now you got to do all these things or we're going to have a problem. And the the incident with the clothes on the floor, the cleaning lady would have to come in, they would take off their clothes. And I don't know I don't know if it's something in the air or the water that got kids in this day and age, when they take off their shit, they leave it right there on the floor. Yeah,
0: just straight down.
1: Straight down and don't walk right over it. It could be there for a month. They will walk right over it and get in the bed. Get out of bed, walk right over it, go to the bathroom. So I told them, I said, don't leave your clothes on my floor. Don't leave anything on my floor. I said, whatever you take off, you either put it in a dirty clothes hamper or put it on a hanger. And I'm not going to tell you no more. I'm not going to tell you not one more time. So they were okay for a couple of days. I go down to my son's room. They share a room. Um, I go down, and my youngest son, Nick, he's an engineer. Uh, he's 28 now, but he had to be 11, 10, 11 years old. And uh, I go down to his room one day there in school. And I noticed the clothes that he wore yesterday was sitting in the middle of his bedroom floor. His Nikes, his pants, all his favorite stuff. His jacket. His shirt. All sitting there. I just politely scooped them all up, walked down the hall, went down the stairs, went down the back stairs, through the kitchen, out to the garage. And I had a smoker out in the yard because I smoked meats and stuff. So I took all of the wires and baskets where the charcoal sit, the charcoal sit in that bottom, the the uh the bottom tray. So I took all the trays and racks out of it, put his clothes in that smoker, some lighter fluid on it, with his Nikes, and threw a match to it. I set all his shit on fire. And this was about twelve o'clock. This was about no, this was about one, because they got out of school at three. So the bus pulls up. They get out around 3 30. He comes in the house and I'm in the kitchen and I got the I and, and I could see out of the breakfast window out where the smoker is and I see remnants of smoke still coming out of the thing. Probably those Nikes. <laughs> and I said, Nick, I said, come over here for a second. He said, Yes. Sir. I said, What's up? He said, Oh nothing. I said, go in the breakfast room and look out the window and tell me what you see out in the yard. He goes to the window as a kid, nothing. I said, what do you see out in the yard that you normally don't see? He said, well, I see some smoke coming out of that thing over there. (laughs) I said, guess what that smoke is? He said, what? I said, do you remember everything you wore to school yesterday? Do you remember where you left it? Then I could see his ears. He's like, oh, shit. I said yes. What you see smoking out there is the remnants of everything you left on your floor this morning. So, so my oldest brother looked at him and said, "Nick, you so stupid." <laughs> Dad told you don't leave this. I burn up all his shit. And from that day on, they never. So I let my daughter come in, who's younger. I let her see it. I let the oldest see it. And then when, and then when my wife saw it. Jack, I can't believe you burned up that boy's clothes. I said, I will burn up anything else that's left on my floor. Now, I said, let this be a warning to everybody who say I am their dad. Mm -hmm. You leave, whatever you leave on your floor, I said, I swear to God, I'm going to throw a match to it. And I haven't had that problem since. Right.
0: It's funny how that happens.
1: Yes. It only takes one time. It only takes one time.
0: God, I just... didn't you feel bad? I I, I don't have no. I, I feel I would No. No, no. See, that's why you're both no. and I'm me. See, one thing in my house is that I never have to I would be myself. so sad for them. I mean, he must have been crushed. His favorite kicks, his favorite jeans. Lance,
1: you're weak. Your kids and turn you into a wuss. You're weak. You're weak, man. I think we're gonna have to put you in daddy boot camp. Put you in daddy boot camp.
0: God, I just couldn't do it. I'm just telling you, I could not. Like my son, my son, and they do the same shit you just said. He just got the new Kanye Yeezys, you know, and these he would eat off these things. Mm-hmm. But I, I could never bring myself to to light them on fire. I just couldn't. But no, I'm a wuss. You just said so it. I don't yes, disagree with
1: you. Yes, yes, and but the thing with that, I didn't burn his clothes. I didn't burn his clothes because I was a mean dad. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I burnt his clothes to teach him a lesson. He has more clothes in his closet than me and my nine brothers or sisters put together, just he alone. So I'm trying to teach them the value of having nice things and to take care of it. Hear him, it's what, 2016? But my pickup truck is a 2003 Dodge Dually, still Goliath, my favorite vehicle. That's what you drive now? My Dodge Dually. That's my winter vehicle. It has 50,000 miles on it.
0: Dually, you mean the things with like
1: two wheels on each side? Two wheels. I can back up the side of a building. (laughs) I love it. It's parked in my driveway now. Got 50,000 miles on it. Everybody's trying to buy it from me, and and I won't sell it. But it's the thing that it's okay to have nice things, but take care of them. Yeah. Don't say, "Oh well, my Kanye Yeezys are dirty." Dad, will you buy me another pair? Right. Hell no!
0: Well, no. now that I would, I would not do that. So,
1: but, but it's just the fact that if we as parents don't teach our kids structure, responsibility, they're going to be lost. I hear
0: you. I hear it's
1: you. like them being in a country. It's but. It's like them being in a country full of ad, full of anarchism. There's no control. They do whatever they want yeah. and so on and so on. And as kids, as kids, they need that because when they get out in the real world, they are going to be so disappointed. They're going to be crushed because somebody is going to tell them the same stuff that we as parents should have taught them when they were kids. Yeah. And it's going to crush them. It's going to crush them. So I'd rather prepare my kids now right. than wait until they become 20, 21 years old yep. and somebody just ripped them a new one verbally at work because they didn't do what they're supposed to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you some – let me ask you some sports questions. Because you know, I talked about these urban myths earlier, but in one of the myths is that at the, at the combine you ran the 40-yard dash in 4.12 seconds.
1: 413. Four, one,
0: one, three. I was on my way to track practice,
1: yeah. And,
0: they had and when you run four, and this is the fastest it's ever been run, and that yeah. was in well, night.
1: a lot of people are disputing it because they say some kid just ran a four, two, something. He just ran a four, two, one or a four, two, three. And so what they told him, I said, yeah, but that's good. I said, you get me at his age, and I guarantee you he'll be looking at my shoe soles in the fort. That's, that's just. The, that's just fact. One thing that I never worried about <clears throat> has the
0: timing changed? I mean, that you ran with no
1: a- mine was electronic, where you got to put your hand on the starting tape. Once your hand comes off that tape, you break the laser down at forty yards.
0: Yeah, four one three. And how much did you weigh when you ran 4 four one three? About two twenty two. That's unbelievable. That's two twenty two. Because if you're running a four one three, you're at the end. You're going. Uh, 25 miles an hour that's
1: that's that's like putting uh that's like putting that's like putting a formula a formula one engine in a 18 wheel yeah exactly no wonder the it, boss it's, got it's, run over uh, yeah the boss weren't weren't he wasn't thinking back then <laughs> he
0: wasn't thinking back then he's a he's a very sweet guy
1: Boss is a good friend of mine yes he was in my kia commercial
0: uh, and, and he just he came and he, he came, he, came ride. to Bow Bikes, Bama yes, last year. He
1: did bars and this.
0: and I know you he talks balls. a lot of shit before that, that game and you you know you you did what you did, but I just want everybody knows those two things, yeah. but I want the world to know this. He absolutely kicked your ass at Bow Bikes, Bama. Yes, he did. I mean it wasn't even close. Listen, I don't make my money pedaling. <laughs>
1: He he a lot. He, he a uh, 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 Bosworth wife is a, is spinning, a spinning instructor, in, in, instructor. Yeah. He so goes, he got more time in yeah. than I do. Yeah, I get on my bike three weeks before Bo bikes Bama, and then I come and ride, and it kicks my butt. Yeah, but I do it because it's for such a great cause. It's it, it's. I don't do it for the Auburn fans. I don't do it for the Alabama fans, or UAB fans, or Troy fans, or whoever. I do it for the people of my home state, Yeah. period, period. And you can be whatever you want. Right. And I could say this, and I say this. I said, Mother Nature doesn't discriminate. If a tornado comes to your town, it doesn't care if you lands Armstrong, Bo Jackson, or if you got $20 just in the bank or $20 billion in the bank. If you in her way, you're going to get dealt with. hmm You can't avoid mother," he said. "You cannot compete with mother nature. You can't fight her, but you can
0: sure as hell get out of her way." You know, and the the way that society works now, we just we forget about these things. And I think it's worth because you you mentioned tornadoes, but it's worth talking about why. Just because I don't think people can remember back that far in in this current society. But you started boat, bikes, Bama those. The tornadoes that came through Alabama were in 2011. The the tornadoes that
1: came through the state, they they originated in Mississippi, and they picked up more speed as they went east, and more power. And killed how many people? Over 370 people lost their lives um, when that tornado, that tornado stayed on the ground longer than any tornado in the history.
0: And when you see, and I'm sure a lot of us, or a lot of you people listening, when you You've seen what a tornado does, but it, it's when it's, you really see when, when they have come through. Yes. It's like a it, it's like a, a you know a, a lawnmower that's the size of the Empire State Building that just comes and mows. It, it yes, but it mows down everything concrete steel everything. It yeah. doesn't
1: matter. And um and the thing that motivated me was seeing all of the damage mm. to through my home state. Yep. but and I'm sitting there. And I'm thinking, I'm like, what can I do Mm -hmm. to educate, not only educate people on the severity of a tornado, but also to help my fellow Alabamians. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, only a few people can play golf. Only a few people can play golf. So golf is off the table. I said, golf is off the table. And I said, and I said, we could do a walk-a-thon, but that's boring. I said, I said, I think I'm going to see if I can do a biking event where we can ride across the state to raise money. Yeah. Then I said, Bow Bikes, Bama. Bow Bikes, Bama is what it's going to cost. And this was during the Super Bowl of 2011 when I came up with this idea. I got on the phone and I called the governor at halftime during the Super Bowl at 2011 and uh, we talked for the rest of the game and and when the conversation was over with he said Bo whatever we can do to help you with this just call us he said I will put some people on it in my office on this end and so and we'll set everything up and uh, we'll do whatever we can just whatever you need just let us know so and you probably raised a few million bucks, maybe more. Maybe um, um, more. Um, in four in four years, this past winter, we cracked the $1 million mark. After all the bills have been paid, we cracked the $1 million mark. Now, when the tornado happened, the federal government gave the state a grant of a little over, I think, I don't, I don't know how many millions of dollars. But those funds were to be put in the Alabama governor's Disaster Relief Fund Mm -hmm. to help repair the state. Um, What I wanted to do, because the homes in Alabama, nobody has a basement, a subterranean basement. Their homes are built on a concrete slab, and that's it. Like like here in Texas. So when the tornado comes through, it wipes everything out and leaves the concrete slab there. And um, so I said, we need to think about building tornado shelters. Not a family tornado, but a community tornado shelter. And we came up, there's a company out of Dothan, Alabama. I can't think of the name of it. That's building these community tornado shelters for us. And they're about 70 feet long, about 25 feet wide. And they say that they can hold 70 to 80. Yeah, but they're sitting on a concrete slab, but it's made out of pure steel. The foundation that it's in, it's set in five feet of concrete, four to five feet of concrete that's underground, and the building is made out of a quarter of an inch steel that's domed. So once you put it in a dome shape, it makes it 10 times as strong. So it could withstand winds north of 800 miles an hour. So And they built it and put benches in it for 70 people, but you can squeeze 200 200 people in that. You can squeeze as many people that need to get in there As you can put however many people is needed in there. So what the federal funds do, we search out these towns and um, we see if there's enough people, if they need a community storm shelter there. So the funds from the federal government pays for 75%. Of the build out of that structure, hmm. so the community got to come up with the yeah, other twenty five thousand dollars. That's where Bow Bikes Bama comes in. Yep. So the people in the community, it doesn't cost them one cent out of their pocket. Yep. So the federal government and Bow Bikes Bama is responsible for that tornado shelter in their community.
0: And and. The event this year, and this is this is an appeal to the people listening, yes. is April 29th. April 29th in yep. Auburn, Alabama. You're going to be Saturday there. Morning. I'm going to be there.
1: Everybody
0: comes. We got to have far, a new far, set. far We got to get him. We got to
1: get. We got to make sure that he is on time this year. We got to make sure he's on time. You,
0: su- but you Southern boys, it's you know. Well, you're a little different, but you know. Yeah. yeah. He rolled. Remember, he rolled up last year, sleeveless. You know, all guns two, out. Didn't two have Minutes a, before the ride. Didn't have a helmet. No. No. <laughs> I, and,
1: and, and, but you know, that's Brett Farr. Yeah. That's, that's Brett Farr.
0: But he did, yeah, he didn't.
1: He, he came and he wrote, he's good cyclist. Yeah, he is good. He is a good cyclist. We weren't even a mile and a half in and my front tire blew out. Yeah. Front tire blew out. And I wrestled that bike for almost 200 yards because I wasn't ready to go down. I wasn't ready to go down. The
0: funniest, the, the funniest thing you ever said at Bow Bikes Bama was was not this year, but last year. You were thanking all your sponsors, mm-hmm. and one of the sponsors was Alabama Power, or something or Alabama, mm-hmm. yep. the electricity company. Yes. And, and you I know, every that. other sponsor would wave, you know, put their hand up, be acknowledged, and the power company, no, no nobody was there, or they mm-hmm. were at the yep. bar or something. And you turned around, or you said, "Whoop." Well, they must be out shutting off somebody's power. <laughs> they must be out shutting off somebody's power. Of course, thought, of course. What, what a way to to kiss the sponsor's ass. I mean, that yes, is perfect.
1: Yes. Well, you you actually have to not
0: kiss their ass,
1: but you have to acknowledge of them. Of course. To let them know uh, that's just that is just business one oh one oh one. Never bite the hand that feeds you. And uh, we have had some great sponsors yeah. like the Alabama Powers, the Big Communications, Nike, Trek, Coca-Cola, you name it. Yeah. We have had all of the big time. And everybody continues to come back. Yep. So we are, we, it's not even winter yet. And we have already started working on Bow Spam Spam for our next year. So we're looking for a good turnout. Every year it gets bigger the first year the total number of riders was was 300 riders uh last year we had a little over 1300 riders yeah. and we had riders, two different distances two different distances the, the short ride is 20 miles and the long ride is 68 yeah. 60, 60 miles yeah. and 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 uh, we have people come in from all over the country and the great part of uh, about it is that we had a group that come in from Canada, and the farthest riders came in, they flew in from England. We had a couple to fly in from England to ride in the Bow Bikes Bama in Alabama. And I had to stop and meet them and take a picture with them and invite them back and so forth and so on because um, they say the way that they found out that they saw my 30 for 30 And then they saw the piece on with the biking, with the Bow Bikes Bama. So they put their bikes in the case and flew over here, flew to Atlanta and drove down to Auburn, and they were at the Bow Bikes Bama. That's cool. So Bow Bikes Bama is
0: spreading. Let's do it. I I have a baseball question. Who was the toughest pitcher that you ever had to hit against? There's a few. It was all of the pitchers that threw the junk. They throw
1: junk. They throw junk. It could be Frank Tanana from Detroit, um, uh, Mark Langston from the California Angels. Um, These are guys that throw so much what we call doo-doo. Yeah, what is junk? Junk, which is junk. Curve, Curve, slider, knuckleball, forkball, changeup. To where when they throw a fastball, because all of the junk is moving at about 55 to 60 miles an hour. And then when they throw a fastball, which is a normal 80-mile-an-hour fastball, it looks like a fastball that that the pitcher from the Cubs throwing. throwing, throwing uh 80-mile fastball from a junk baller looks like it's at Mach 2. So it was always the Phil necros, all those guys that hmm. threw a lot of junk. They were, for me, what was the hardest to hit. Now, my favorite, now I can hit the slowest pitch, which is a knuckleball. And I could hit a fastball. But it was that stuff in between. Uh, that would that just always gave me trouble. When you're thinking, well, I know this guy. I have worked a count where I know he has to throw me a fastball. This so I'm locked and cocked for a fastball and he throws me a changeup. and I miss That's where the bat breaking comes in. Right. Because I let a guy get me out that wasn't supposed to get me out.
0: Yeah. And what about Nolan Ryan? Did you ever hit against him?
1: I have, uh, yes, Nolan faced, uh, Nolan struck me out seven consecutive times before I even fouled the ball off of him. And
0: my first hit. He was an old man when he did that.
1: Yeah, but he could still bring it up there. He was still throwing 95, 96 miles an hour. And and, uh, my first hit off Nolan Ryan, was probably the longest ball ever hit in the old Texas-Arlington Stadium. And uh, I hit it straight away center field, and the stadium was packed. You, you know, the whole state comes to see Nolan Ryan pitches. Yeah, And uh, and uh, everybody was on their feet because I had worked the count and I had fouled off about three balls. And and I fouled off a pitch that was up in my chest, up in on me, and I got to it. And and he gave me a look like, you don't supposed to be able to get to that fucking pitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, and and uh, it's funny because I have a little goatee, about a quarter of an inch, just a little goatee growing here. And he threw a ball high and tight on me. The count was two, two, and I had fouled off about three consecutive pitches. Yeah. Then he threw one. He gave me some chin music, what they call chin music. And if I hadn't have just moved my head a half inch, just back like that he would have just tore my whole chin off but the ball nicked my little goatee it was just that <laughs> and the ref and the ump heard it and he, and he said did that ball nick you i'm like no no because i knew what he was coming with the next pitch so i put my hand up called timeout and i'm staring at no because i'm looking at him because he gave me some chin music
0: right
1: and um I put my hand up to call timeout, and I dig in with my right foot. Dig in with with my right foot. I put my left foot in, still got my hand up. And I'm still watching Nolan, and I grab the bat, and I hit the plate and bring the bat back up and whack my helmet. Bow, And I get set. And everybody's on there. And more women come to the stadium to see Nolan Ryan play. It's like Bon 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 Jovi's playing a concert. All the women come to the game to see Nolan play. And then they disappear when somebody else is pitching. And uh, everybody's on their feet cheering because they want to see eight straight strikeouts. And I knew he was going to bring the heat because Nolan, hey, this is what I got. See if you can catch up with it. And I caught up with it. And I mean, I got every thread on it. And when the ball hit the bat, when the bat made contact with the ball, You hear some old players, they said that their eyes were so good that they can see the threads on the ball. And what they mean by that is that when the ball makes contact with the bat, the ball stops spinning and you can see the threads. Hmm. Well, when the ball stops spinning, and the balls are made by Rawlings, and um, when the ball hit my bat, I could see R-A-W. I could see Raw out Hmm. of Rawlings. When it just that quick cause it's gone. And when I made contact with it, from the sound the ball made, makes a different sound, I knew the ball was gone. I just didn't know how far it, I didn't know how far the ball was gonna travel. So Nolan looked back at it and the center fielder was Gary Pettis. Gary turned and took two steps and cause he and I are friends. And he said, man, I, I took two steps cause think well, I'm gonna get to the track and catch this. And he said, I took two steps and the ball had already passed me,
0: and he said,
1: "And from where it hit, because the stands were good, everybody, you know how people in the stands when you hit a home run, every, everybody clamored to catch the ball. It still had enough juice on it to where people noticed that this could hurt somebody, so they cleared out the way, and it hit, and it hit the back of a seat because all the bleacher seats were blue plastic, and it broke that back plastic in half. So the next day we come to the game." And we're out on the field stretching, and somebody said, "Bo, do you know where that ball landed? You do you know where that ball stopped? Its forward momentum." I said, "No, where?" They said, "Look out in center field," and it's a whole sea of blue seats, and one red seat there. They put a red back on the seat, and that's where it. Hit. And they said that stopped that ball from going another hundred, or 200 feet. <laughs> and they measured it at like four seventy, four seventy something. And I got all of it. So when I got, got so when I got back to the dugout, I was telling the players, I said, I could see the threads on the ball when it hit the bat. I read R I saw Rawlings. I saw R A W and Willie Wilson and George Rednum said, Oh, motherfucker, you just lying. You ain't seen shit. Some Bullshit That's Willie <laughs> Wilson You ain't He finally get Nolan Now he talking about He gets see the fucking Three as on the ball So the bat boy Walks down With the bat <clears throat> And I'll never forget this I was swinging One of Angel Salazar's bats He was a Shortstop Short He was a shortstop For us At the time And he was swinging A Cooper P-72 And he went And got that bat And brought it back in the bat, right on the sweet part of the bat, there was an indentation, a half moon, in the bat. Inside that indentation was L-I-N-G-S in blue. <laughs> I said, I told you I saw Raleigh's when I hit that. <clears throat> and Jamie Quirk, who is a comedian on our team, he was a catcher. He said, ooh, that's super Negro. <laughs> <laughs> He said, y'all better leave him alone. Y'all better leave that football player alone. That's Super Negro. So, 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 and I don't know what happened to that bat. I think it disappeared in Texas. Nolan probably got it. I don't know, but it disappeared on us. Or the clubhouse guy, the manager took it or or something, but I never saw that bat again. Wow. So, so I got Nolan, but in the first time that I got him, the bats after that was easy because I got him before. So I wasn't nervous or scared to face the legend. No, right. So yeah. So.
0: Al Davis. How was it playing for Al Davis?
1: Out of all the out of all of the employers that I had, from Nike, Pepsi, you name it, the Royals, the White Sox, California Angels, Al Davis was the best best Hmm. he was the best employer if he were to call me right now and said bo i got a job for you will you take it no question to ask i would he was the type of guy that if he liked you he let you know it Mm -hmm. if he didn't like you he let you know it and and that's just how he was There was no gray area with this man, and everybody, everybody, everybody called him crazy.
0: Yeah, no, I mean he would called him
1: this because he cared about his team. He cared about his players. Now everybody was upset and pissed because he moved the team from. They were in Oakland first. They moved down to L.A. Then they left L.A. and moved back. This was after I played because I was a L.A. Raiders. He moved the team from L.A. back to Oakland. A lot of people don't know that he was at war with the city of Los Angeles about about the inner workings of the Coliseum. The Coliseum is a beautiful place. It's a historic place. They had the Olympics there. Mm-hmm. They've had a Super Bowl there. They've had all these things there. But on the out the outside aesthetics, super. And being a player. I played there, I'd get dressed there, i there. The shower in the Coliseum. let's say they have 24 shower heads around the wall. They only had, there was eight shower heads had water coming out of them. Only two of them had a full stream coming out of them. That's how, that's
0: how, hmm.
1: that's how bad. The- We're talking the- about
0: the home locker room? Yeah. Well, imagine the visitor's locker room.
1: Yeah. So the outside part of the stadium is is beautiful, the track and everything. Yeah, it's inside, and he just wanted them to spend a couple of million dollars to fix up the intercept, to fix the plumbing, to do this, to make he would have never left, but they said no, you got to do it yourself if you yeah. want to. So he said, "Fuck you, I'm I'm gonna move my team." So that's why people, right? People don't understand. Even after I left the Raiders. After my injury, Al Davis, my wife would get get a birthday card on her birthday, and a Christmas card with a gift at Christmas. Birthday, <laughs> she get a card and flowers. Christmas, she get a card and a gift. Up until he wasn't able to do that anymore. Wow. So 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 when people talk about Al Davis, they really don't know the man. Um, I was blessed to get to know him for three and a half years. and but and what I know he must have
0: loved your ass.
1: We had, we had, we had fun. But now the thing about Al Davis was everybody knew when he was at practice because his cologne would arrive 10 minutes before he would. <laughs> <laughs> so Howie long and all of those guys, how we long and Bill Pakell, um, 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 who else? Who else? Marcus Allen, all those guys say, Bo, your dad's coming. <laughs> they say, Bo, your dad. But in the reason they said Bo, your dad's coming was because after the Seattle game with the Bosworth incident, Al Davis asked me to ride on his bus with him up front. So Al done. Al done adopted him a new son. He then adopted him a new son. So they said, "Bo, but your dad's coming to practice." But we would never see him. But we would smell his cologne ten minutes before he'd come around the corner. He was just that strong. And, he'd <laughs> and he was And he was swimming in cologne. If that was the case. Yes. Yeah, and he'd always walk out. And and he, he was a funny guy. He was a funny guy. Every other word, if let's say if he was gonna have a conversation with you. And that conversation consisted of five hundred words. Three hundred and seventy-five words would be the F word. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's just the way he communicated. Yeah. But on the up and up, he was the nicest employer I've ever had.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'll awesome. Eight. Awesome. And oh. I
1: still talk to his wife. I was in Los Angeles. They, they they have an eternal flame that they light every game in the honor of Al Davis. And they invited me out a year before last, I think, to light the torch. And I sit up in the booth with his wife and we talk. We but we talk we don't we don't watch the game, we just sit and talk. Yeah. Because I don't like watching football. Hell, I know how to do that already. So we sit and talk and we eat popcorn. We eat the little little snacks and we just sit and talk. That's sweet. So
0: All right, so Bo, so if we look at your the arc of your career and you look at football and baseball and college and all of it, it's all this heroic iconic stuff, home runs, the touchdowns, trophies, you know, victory. Mm-hmm. There has to be some some something there that's that is not that. It's the anti Victory. It's it's an embarrassing moment.
1: It's there's one embarrassing moment, and I've told this story a couple of times. Um, it was doing the Raiders. We we're playing a home game in the Coliseum in Los Angeles, and I think we were playing the Denver Broncos. Now, I which is a big that's a big rivalry. A big big rival. John Elway, all those guys. Carl Mecklenburg, all those big defensive guys. All those guys are on the field. And, and uh, I think we were playing Denver. And um, the year prior to that, this was my second year, I scored my first NFL touchdown on Denver where I ran over defensive back night, Mike Hart, and broke his collarbone when I run him over. <laughs> and uh, it's that touchdown play where you see me running down the sideline, I run over a guy, I keep going, and I dive in the end zone. Um, that's my first touchdown. Well, the following year, we run the same play on it. It's a counter sweep to where the quarterback gets the ball, turns and pitches it to me, and I take off like I'm going to the right side. And I take two or three steps, plant and do a 180 and go back to the back side because everybody's saying, don't let him get on the corner. So everybody's running to the sideline to stop me from getting to the sideline. So I do a 180 on him and go back to the back side. Go back that way, the same way I did it the year before. Cornerback sitting right there. And he's thinking that I'm going to try to go around. I do the same thing that I, I do the same thing to him that I did to Mike Harden the year before. But I didn't break it. But I ran him over. Now, as I'm running him over, I'm stepping on him. I'm putting the Nikes to him and trying to go on about my business. And somebody comes up behind me and pops me, helmet on helmet, right behind my ear. Short circuit me the ball comes out, I fall on the ball luckily, and in my mind I'm telling myself, get on the ball, don't lose the ball, so I make sure that I cure the football and then I tell myself okay, get up, you can't let these motherfuckers know you hurt, get up, and get to the sideline and rest, just get up, and get to the sideline and rest, so I make myself get up I get up now, I can't hear nothing, you, we, there's 80 some thousand people in the Coliseum I can't hear anything in my ears but a, uh, dee- that's all I hear from the ringing. Can you, so I'm like, just get to the sideline and sit down. Now, I got my eyes open, but I can't see shit. <laughs> I can't see. The, the light's on, but nobody's home. So I just said, just get to the sideline and sit down. So I unbuckle my my chin strap, and I make my way through the crowd. I, I can feel like I'm pushing people to the side. I'm like, hey, fuck, I just need to sit down. Don't know what I'm doing. So I go and And just as I sat on the bench, as soon as my ass touched the bench, somebody grabs me by my shoulder and yanked me up and said, you on the other side, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) So they pushed me out on the field and I look down at my feet and they're levitating off the grass. And I look across the field and I see both trainers, the assistant trainer and I guess the intern, they're running toward me. And it's like that. It's like the movie, The Love Story, where, where you see the couple running toward each other on the beach and it's slow motion. Okay. And that's how they were running. They were running toward me like that. And I'm like, where the fuck are they going? Because I'm in the game. They don't supposed to be on the field. So they come and grab me. They said, Bo, are you all right? And I look at them and say, uh-huh. And they said, no, he ain't. Come on, let's get him to the sideline. Well, this was the first quarter. <laughs> the end of the first quarter, I didn't. I didn't come back to reality till midway the third quarter. They got me on the bench, and the offensive coordinator got Steve Berline to ask me a bunch of questions. Steve Berline was the backup quarterback from Notre Dame to ask me a bunch of questions to see if I'm right. He said, All right, Bo, what's your wife's name? I don't know. Oh no. Linda, they said, How many kids you got? I said, one. They said, you got three kids. <laughs> so I am nowhere in the county right now. They said, what's the score? I said, how the hell do I know? They said, you should. You scored the first two touchdowns. <laughs> so the score was 21-7. You scored the first two touchdowns. They said, who are we playing? So I figured that I could cheat now because I can look through the crowd to see who we playing. And when I looked through the crowd, instead of seeing orange and blue, I thought I was seeing red and blue with Buffalo. I said, Buffalo. They said, fuck no, we're playing Denver. Keep him on the sideline. Keep him on the sideline. So the question that brought me back, now as this is going on, the players are also looking in the stands because the police officers do more running than the football players because they're trying to get the Raider guys from stop beating up the Denver fans. So there's fights all over the place. So we're looking back. So Steve Berline said, okay, I got one for you. You got to get this one. You got to know this. He said, when is payday? I said, Monday. He said, he's coming back. He's coming because payday is on Monday. I said, Monday. Then there was a shot. Pow. And I'm looking, everybody's running. And now Steve Smith is sitting beside me. Who was my blocking fullback. First round draft pick from Penn state. He's sitting beside me. Steve Berline is here. So everybody gets up and Steve, So I'm like, somebody's shooting. Where the fuck is everybody going? And Steve laughed. He said, we're going to the locker room. It's he half-time. said, "He said it's halftime, fool. <laughs> he said, it's halftime, fool. We're going to the locker room. So I'm like, where the fuck is the locker room? So he tells me to grab onto to the back of his jersey and just go with him. And he took off jogging. I had his jersey. And, and I'm jogging off the field with it. So whoever hit me, short circuited me. So when they say concussions, it's yeah. serious. Luckily for me, that I only had one, that one, because it's a, yeah, it's nothing to play with. Two days later, I'm leaving the Raiders camp from getting treatment, and I was living in Playa Del Rey. We're living in a house in Playa Del Rey, right upside the hill, ocean view, and I for, I was about a mile from my house and forgot how to get to the house that I was renting. So we had the c- cell phones just come out, the big block cell phone. So I pick up the phone, I look at my wallet, see a number, I call it, and my wife answered. I said, I'm at the corner, and I said, I don't know how to get to the house. She said, stop playing, boy. That's crazy. I said, I'm serious. I said, this concussion got me, and I don't know how to get back to the house. So she had to come up and get me, and I had to follow her home because somebody rung my bell. So. Wow. They told me, you on the other side, motherfucker. I I will never forget that. I went to the other bench and sat down. I went to the (laughs) other bench and sat down. Wow.
0: Bo, thank you for being here. Thank you, brother, for having me. That was a great hour and something of my life. And hopefully, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for being in Austin, too. Thank you for having
1: me. Thank you for supporting Bo Bikes
0: Bama. Bo Bikes Bama, April 29th. April April 29th. Mm -hmm. I'll be there. You'll be there. We'll all be there. I will y'all, be there. Y'all come join us. Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, if you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please, God knows I need suggestions, um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, or whatever... Let me know send me an email send it to the podcast at we I know it's long I know it's a little confusing the forward podcast at we do podcast at we